Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Money Minded Athlete Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Poland. I'm very excited to have on Otis McElhaney today on the show. Welcome, Otis. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Just a little background for you listeners on there. I came across Otis via Instagram, which is, you know, obviously a great platform to be on. And one of his posts, I was I was just blown away by this because it's not something you usually see a baseball coach posting about, was one talking about finances and overcoming some things, but two was, you know, getting rid of uh, overcoming all of his debt and paying off all of his debt at such a young age. And that's super powerful. So that's, I mean, one of the biggest reasons I wanted to get Otis on the show today. Um, but, you know, Otis, give these give these kids a little bit of background about yourself and what you're doing now. Well, uh, I originally uh, am from uh, a little small town called Branksville, South Carolina. It's a town of about 1,100 people down in the rural southern part of South Carolina. Um, I, you know, I grew up on a farm. My dad was a, a peanut, corn, cotton, and soybean farmer. He, uh, he planted over 1,000 acres, so I'm sure, as, as you can assume, my, uh, my younger days were spent working on the farm as young mm-hmm. as you know I can remember. So that's kind of where I have the the work ethic and determination and, and, you know, the different skills that I've developed as a a young person to, to, you know, take into the professional world that I am now, you know, as far as uh, being a teacher and, you know, having, being a coach and having a strong work ethic and and displaying that work ethic for our our players and our students and our athletes to, Mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, help them achieve the goals and get to where they want to be, not only as an athlete, but as a student and, you know, in their financials as they grow over and become young professionals. Absolutely. That's very humble beginnings for sure. I can't say I was farming quite like that, but I definitely grew up on a farm. We had a lot more livestock and cattle, uh, rodeo family. So we definitely helping out, you know, on the ranch hand life around the, around the farm for sure. Definitely instills a different, you know, a different kind of belief in you than, than most of the city slickers that, you know, most kids these days. I mean, I didn't stay in that life forever, you know, even though, I grew up in a town of like 9,000 people, 10,000 people. It's not like, you know, living in, in the Dallas, Fort Worth area like I am now, but, or you're down in, in Houston area. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, for you, it's probably just night and day difference, you know, living in, in those kinds of environments. Oh yeah. My family came up to visit one time and they were just blown away by how the city is like they, they've really never seen anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something else. Well, you got a couple of pieces I want to touch on there, but I want to kind of start with the end in mind, going a little different route with this episode. You know, we, I mentioned in the beginning, you know, you overcame some debt and, and really doing some exciting things over there. You're a financial coach. Now you were telling me on the show before looking back, you know, when you, when you got a family like that, it's hard to quote unquote, not be in the family business. Um, what would be, what would be some, you know, in hindsight, 2020, looking back, what's one or two things you would tell your high school self, your college self on the finance side, on the income side of, of, the, of what you've learned since then? Um, it, really, the one of the only things that I wish I could go back 10 years and do completely different would be completely staying out of debt. Um, I, I, as you spoke to earlier, I acquired, or I say acquired, but I stupidly, I paid my stupid tax and I, I had about almost $53,000 worth of debt that I paid off in the last 13 months. And, um, your most powerful wealth building tool you have as a professional is your income. 
Mm-hmm. And it, it's very, very difficult to build wealth. It's almost impossible to build wealth if you're having to take the majority of your income every month and you're giving it to some bank mm-hmm. because, you know, you've got a car loan, you've got a credit card, you've got student loans, you've got other types of debt that, you know, people look at and view it as quote unquote normal. You know, they say, sure. oh, it's it's good debt. It's student loan debt. You're building yourself as a professional. Well, yeah, yeah technically you, you kind of are because it does give you the ability to increase your income with further further education. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in hindsight, I mean, you see some of these kids, I believe the average debt or average student loan debt in America now is about $38,000 coming out of school. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you think if you're a entry-level professional coming in making, you know, thirty dollars to $40,000, it's going to take you quite a while yep. to pay that off on a normal pay scale like most people do. You know, most people keep student loan debt around 10, 20, mm-hmm. 30 years. And, you know, Sally Mae has their own bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's a pretty rough system, you know, and, and one of the biggest things I've learned is reverse engineering. And you started talking about that <clears throat> a little bit, maybe not knowingly, but with, you know, looking at how much debt you're going to be piled up after your four years of college. For me, it was five years. You know, I had a couple of surgeries. I redshirted and was trying to get back to play again. But, you know, some guys are like that. Some get done in three. I mean, you know, most of them are going to go at least four years. But then, you know, like you said, 30, 40K a year after that that you're making, um, you know, start to reverse engineer that and think ahead, well, how long is it going to take me, you know, am I going to be paying off like 100 bucks a month, 200 bucks, 500 bucks? How much am I going to be making in monthly payments? And then thinking about how long is that going to take to pay off how many years is that going to pay off and you know just that reverse engineering is so powerful not only for overcoming debt but you know income goals and so many other things you know to setting goals in your athletic career right you know how what you know what kind of era are you trying to hit as a pitcher well these are some of the steps you can do i mean you know it's just it's just so powerful to think in that way what really got you starting to i mean 50k that's you know that's quite a bit what was like the one one thing that got you over that hump to in such a short time. And when you said 13 months, 14 months. Uh, yeah, I paid off, uh, $52,821 in uh, 13 months. Wow. Um, and, and really what kickstarted the whole thing and, and what, what showed me that, Hey, I need to get rid of this debt because it is, it's destroying my personal finances was about, a year and a half to two years into paying for my 2014 Dodge Ram truck that was about a $30,000 truck when I first bought it, which was a very dumb move in itself because I made $46,000 when I first moved to Houston. And what did I do? I go out and buy a $30,000 truck, (laughs) which is not a very smart move financially in itself. But about two years into making the normal monthly payments, on my truck, my, my monthly payment was $376. I eventually, um, I received a, uh, like a statement that showed all of my payments and how much went towards principal, how much went towards balance and, or how much went towards principal, how much went towards the interest. Mm-hmm. And of the $376 I was paying, $98 of it was going only to interest. It was not going towards the principal. Mm. And then I started thinking, well, 12 months in a year, two years, 98 times 24, what does that come out to be? And, you know, it's just over $2,000 that I paid directly to interest that hasn't even went toward my principal. That absolutely made me sick to my stomach. So it was at that moment I decided, hey, I got to get rid of this debt. 
And, you know, at the time I had 15,000 in credit cards, 15,000 in student loans, 25,000 owed on the truck, and then 5,000 in a personal loan, and then a couple thousand in just other little malicious debts that I had acquired. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started thinking, I'm like, imagine what it would be if I made $60,000 a year and had zero payments. Think about how much money I can save. Think about what I could do. I mean, you could buy basically anything you want to within reason and pay cash for it and not have to, you know, give all of your hard-earned money on the 1st and the 15th to some bank. Mm -hmm. So then, uh, fortunately, uh, about five years before I started this debt-free journey, I I had bought a boat. I had a a $17,000 bay boat Mm -hmm. that uh, I had hardly ever used because, you know, I'm a a baseball coach. So, you know, from January to May, it's pretty hectic. And then, uh, you know, I've always coached select baseball during the summer. So that takes up a lot of my weekends. Yep. So I had this, you know, really nice $15,000 boat that I, uh, I used maybe three or four times a year. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, with, with a boat comes insurance, storage, you know, different things, different malicious yeah. uh, costs that come with owning a boat. So then I started thinking, you know, if I sell this boat, one third of my debt will be gone just like that. Wow. So I played around with the idea and I eventually had a guy drive all the way here from Lubbock to see my boat, which is about a 10 hour drive. Yeah. And, you know, it was at that moment that uh, this guy came and he put 15000 or $14,000 on the table and said he wanted to buy that boat. And uh, the day before, you know, I cleaned it up real well, took it out mm-hmm. on the lake to run it to make sure everything was running fine and the lake was as smooth as glass and (laughs) you know of course my uh my intuition was man i really don't want to sell this boat (laughs) but then once he came and put the money on the table and and i I started doing the math in my head and i'm like one third of my debt can literally be gone in the blink of an eye and so eventually i you know i sold it and i also had another older truck that had like 200,000 miles on it i also sold that for 2500 dollars about a month later so right there within a month i paid off 17,000 dollars worth of debt just from selling you know assets that mm-hmm. i had yeah and then it was from there i saw that that debt total go cut in you know a third of it go away and i started thinking you know i'm just going to work as hard as i possibly can for the next you know 15 to 15 to 18 months, and I'm going to pay off this debt as fast as I possibly can. It initially was about a two-year plan that I had. I was going to take at least about 24 months Mm -hmm. to knock it off. And then once I started working, for 12 to 13 months there, I was working 70 to 80 hours a week doing anything and everything you could imagine with sports to make money. I was giving private lessons, umpiring youth baseball, um, you know, obviously I teach uh, middle school PE at the school that I work at and I coach high school baseball and football. So that did take mm-hmm. up about 50, 50 to 55 hours of my week right there. Sure. And uh, I did a little bit of bartending on the side um, just to make some extra money. And um, I, I ran some camps during the summer, like some baseball camps at various mm-hmm. facilities around the Houston area. And, uh, you know, I kept track of all my, my hours and it came out to be about 75 to 80 hours per week. So when you're uh, when you're working that much, you know, you really don't have a whole lot of time to, to go out and spend money. One of my <laughs> philosophies yeah. is if you're not making money, you're spending money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by the time you work 80 hours and then you sleep, try to sleep seven or eight hours a night and try to go to the gym a couple times a week, there's really not a whole lot of time left to do anything else. 
Sure. Yeah, yeah, man, that's that's pretty special right there. Um, it's it's a cool story to have. Like, I like that. It, I, I'm not saying it's necessarily a good thing, but it's kind of ironically funny that you know just that perfect day out on, on out on the water right when you're getting ready to sell it the day before and it just it could easily just suck you back in it's like all right nope it's great water it's a great ride you know i'm not going to sell it I, I love this thing too much but for you you know you had you had a deeper reason behind it to to move on and and get and get out of debt you know that's that's definitely a bigger reason but you've got so much time to to come back to that later on after you've you know start to establish yourself a bit more, which a lot of times this YOLO mentality, you only live once, uh, you got to live it up while you're young kind of thing. You know, it, it can sucker a lot of kids in and start getting them, you know, making decisions they don't need to be making, you know, and it's, it's just oh, frustrating to see, you know, that they don't ever, they don't quite think about it as much or, or just like some of those little things like you were talking about before Otis with, the extra bills, the storage fees for the boat and things like that. It's like when you make these kinds of purchases, you know, you look at, you know, you, you open up the magazine, whether it's for your, for a boat or for a new vehicle and you see the sticker price on there at, you know, whatever it is, 30,000, 40,000, whatever it is. Like, okay. But I can make, you know, I only got to pay, uh, you know, 300, 400 bucks a month and make payments on this and I'm good. But then you're not. And, and like you said, until you saw and started digging into it, right? There's a lot of things that's like school doesn't talk about as much. You go into math, right? You need to know numbers. You need, definitely need to know math if you're going to be in fine, understand your finances and business later on. But you're talking about, you know, these, the principal and interest and all these things that you kind of hear about in accounting, but you don't ever really probably pay attention to it as much as like, oh, this is just an elective class I got to take, whatever it is. And then, you know, like now you're seeing it, how it's impacting your life. And you're like, oh, man, you know, you need to know these names. You need to know these numbers and and why and how quickly that stuff added up for you. Because it's not like you got to, you know, being 40, 50 years old and all of a sudden now you're trying to take control of your debt. It's like, no, you're, you know, in your 20s and 30s and trying to handle it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and one way, another thing that I saw and um, it really changed the way I thought about money. Um, a guy named Dave Ramsey created this program, and it was his program that I used to pay off all this debt. He has a, a system in place to where you you build momentum, and you know you improve your confidence, and and it just it greatly <clears throat> increases the chances of you paying off your debt and being successful with your financial, uh, you know, with your personal finances. Mm-hmm. And um, he he put out a uh, it was like a, it was a statistic is what it was. Um, and he said that if you invest $100 from the start of your professional career to the end of your professional career, which is typically, let's just say, age 23 to age mm-hmm. 65, about the age that most people retire, you'll be a multimillionaire with the effects of compound interest and in investing it in you know, good growth stock mutual funds that are going to get you anywhere from 8 to 15%. That you know, if you invest just a hundred dollars a month, twelve hundred dollars a year, for forty—I guess that's forty-two years. I'm not very good at math, but forty-plus years, mm-hmm. you'll be a multimillionaire. Yep. Yeah, you're looking at forty-two years right there. That's pretty powerful. So Dave was a big influence in your life. You've started uh, following true. a lot. Of, how long did you? How long ago did you start? 
or get introduced to him in the first place? Well, uh, right after I got out of college, I had a, uh, a person who I really looked up to, um, who ran a very successful business, gave me his book, The Total Money Makeover. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, I didn't have any student loans from my undergraduate degree, but I had student loans from the, the second time I went back to college. And um, I read the book all the way to the point where I got student loans. and I didn't have any at the time, so I, uh, I, I just stopped reading the book. And then it sat on my shelf, and it was used as a, a, a coaster for you know <laughs> probably upwards of eight to ten years. And then about two years ago, I decided to pick it back up because I, you know, looked at myself in the mirror and I had fifty plus thousand dollars in debt and I needed to get rid of it. And um, so then I just decided I'm going to start back again. I'm going to get rid of this debt and, you know, I'm going to be financially free here very soon in the next couple of years. So then the program started and I paid off the debt and, well, you know, now I'm here. Amazing. And that's it's I, I didn't read all the way through it. I had that book. Um, actually, I might still actually have it in, in one of my storage boxes because I just moved here about a month ago and haven't fully unpacked everything yet. But Dave's a guy I've, I've followed a little bit. You know, I've got a couple of his books as well, and I'll see his um, see his billboards if I'm driving over to Dallas. Sometimes, you know, on his radio show that he has, he's definitely one of the popular. Um, financial advisor type people out there with like Susie Orman and some of those others that you'll see on uh, whether it's CNN or some of these bigger shows. So he's definitely got, I would say, you know, some good principles. Was there any, anything else? Was it just that Tony total money makeover book that you went through and started applying all the principles or were you following some of his other programs or anything at that time? Um, I was listening to the podcast literally okay. every day. Um, I probably listen to the podcast two to three hours a day, every day. Some of my mm. coworkers would get annoyed with the, the intro music that they put down because <laughs> I'm too cheap to go buy earbuds or earbuds. Uh-huh. And uh, I would literally listen to it at work when I'm not teaching classes and in the car. 99% of the time I'm in my truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dave Ramsey Show podcast is going to be on. And um, the, the podcast was so motivating because – they have what they call debt-free screams and they do one on every single hour of the show. And it's just so motivating to hear those people come on and hear about their story and their journey and all the debt that they've paid off and the will mm-hmm. and the determination and hard work they had to put in to achieve it. And um, I, I just kept telling myself every time I heard one, I said, that's going to be me very soon. Awesome. Did you and, get, uh, did you get up and scream on the show? Uh, no, but I'm planning on going sometime here towards the end of the year. All right, good deal. Well, let me know when that is. I'd love to love to listen in when that happens. Absolutely. So let's let's talk a little bit about you know what some of the lessons you learned from from Ramsey there. Obviously, there's you know most of these kids may not have that you know fifty thousand dollars of debt. Um, I mean, most of them are going to be if they're you know going into college and obviously if they're trying to play at professional level professional level or after high school they're going to have to play their sport in college and you know some of them are going to get full ride scholarships some of them you know may not it it just depends but even then it doesn't you know even guys who get full rides i feel like have things that they need to pay for when they're in school and you're still going to have debt that's going to pile up so what out of you know the lessons you've learned whether it's from dave or through your own experiences you know what's like the top one to two things after, you know, not spending, spending these big ticket items, going after these things that may not be 
as important, really. You know, in one of the last episodes, it was a need versus want conversation. Understanding what you want isn't always what you need, and and how to separate the two in your mind. You know, because maybe in your mind, I, I couldn't I couldn't say for sure, Otis, but maybe in your mind it was I need to have this boat or I need to have this truck when it may have been just more of a want kind of thing to, for whatever reason that might be, right? Right. Um, and I think one of the, the main things that Dave always quotes, and I firmly believe in it, is the true sign of an adult is foregoing pleasure right now to, uh, to achieve something later. Um, and, and, you know, when I say that, uh, it kind of makes you think about, well, you know, adolescents and, and, you know, younger, younger people, teenagers and, and young professionals, mm-hmm. you know, the first thing you get out of college, what do most people want to do as soon as they get their first full-time job? They get a credit card, mm-hmm. they get a car. They, some people try to buy a house when they're not financially ready to, and, mm-hmm. and just like that, those things that, that you buy puts you into a bind already. You know, say you're a young professional who makes thirty five, $40,000 a year. You go buy a $20,000 car, that's half your annual income right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, say you rent an apartment. That's probably one-fourth of your income, just like that. And then you've got a couple thousand dollars in credit card debt. And, you know, just like that, you're, you're basically living paycheck to paycheck. And yeah. most people don't even realize that. Um, I know like eight out of 10 households in America right now live paycheck to paycheck mm-hmm. and will have a very difficult time covering a thousand dollar emergency mm-hmm. uh, without the use of like a credit card or, or some other kind of, of uh, debt form form of debt. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm not afraid to admit, you know, that's me right now, you know, just going, going through some things in my own life and been, it had, had, had those kinds of stru- struggles to overcome and, and that's, you know, one of the biggest reasons to, for me to start this show was it was, it was a, I'd say, well, it, when, when did you put that post out? You know, how long ago did you officially overcome your, uh, your 50,000 in debt? April 18th. Okay. 2019. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, I started this middle of May. So, you know, within a month I, I had been dis- trying to figure out, oh, what's this podcast going to be about? What am I going to talk about? What's my topic, et cetera? And I'm, I remember seeing that like a couple weeks later and then like a week or so after that, I was like, okay, let me, let me just interview people like you. Let me get athletes on the show because I know I'm not the only one out there struggling with money and it's not being taught out there, you know, that it, it, these kids need to be talking about it. And then I went back and watched the ESPN 30 for 30 broke again. You know, i saw that one many years ago and just even, you know, these professional athletes, obviously everybody wants to look at them, the big D one guys who get the major scholarship money or the big signing bonuses and they're blowing all their money. Right. But then there's people like us who are talented athletes who don't, you know, aren't playing professionally at under the big spotlights, you know, getting on ESPN and stuff like that. And we're still struggling with the same kind of stuff they are. You know, if, if we were given, you know, that, that million-dollar signing bonus, we'd probably do the same kinds of things, right? So to get these kids understanding that and getting their mindset switched, getting them with tools in their tool belt that they can use to really not make those mistakes and capitalize on, you know, I hope everybody that listens to the show is 
gets to that level of a D1 school and gets, you know, picked up in, in, in the draft for their sport, whatever their sport is. But, you know, it's not realistic for all of us. But this money and the business and the principles behind what we're talking about applies to everybody, I feel like. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, only about 7% of all high school baseball players go on to play baseball at the collegiate level. Mm-hmm. So that leaves 93%, you know, to go, you know, amongst other avenues. Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, close to 20, I think 15 freshmen at my high school. And by senior year, it was me and my catcher. We were the only two left. And both of us went to go play uh, collegiate ball. So it's it's definitely rare air, you know. What would be, if you had to write out like a three-step, a five-step, I don't know, seven, eight, ten-step, you know, however many steps that would be for you from from this Ramsey program, from the book and the podcast, what would be your three to five steps that these kids need to take to, one, not either get into debt, and two, you know, start to grow their income and grow their savings? Um, well, the, the first step is to not ever borrow money again. Um, you know, if you're just say you're say you're a high school athlete and you're 16 years old, you're going into your junior year, um, making sure you have the grades that you need to get in order to get. Because, you know, I've heard people say, you know, Johnny so and so went to this school to play baseball and he got a full ride. Well, when people hear full ride, they think 100 percent baseball money. Mm-hmm. And what most people don't realize is nobody in college baseball gets a full ride purely on athletic money. Like literally nobody, um, because college baseball teams, if you're a division one program, you have 11.7 scholarships to disperse amongst, you know, say 30 to 35 guys. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but you could get all of your, your school costs covered with academic scholarships, um, athletic money that you would get, uh, you know, from being a uh, top level performer. Um, there's all different types of grants and scholarships and federal money and, and all different kinds of things that you can get that would help cover your cost. But if there was a way to get through school completely debt free, that would be the way to achieve it. Um, the first step is obviously to be a very high academic um, student. You know, if you've got mm-hmm. good grades and high SAT and ACT scores, that opens many different types of doors for you to get academic assistance to go play sports at the collegiate level. And the, uh, the more academic money that college coaches can give players whereas they don't have to use their athletic money that opens even more and more avenues because college coaches are always looking for ways to save their 11.7 or if they're a d2 mm-hmm. program there are nine scholarships that they have to give out yep and then d3 they can't give out athletic scholarships correct yeah there's no athletic scholarships but they do have several and uh, many many different avenues to get um academic scholarships mm-hmm yeah. For their student athletes. I mean, there's several cases where D3 programs can off- actually offer a bigger and better package overall than some of the D1 and D2 programs. Interesting. That's was that was my route right out of college was at D3 in Iowa, and I wouldn't have been able to take the money if they offered it anyways because my mom worked at um, she worked at an NAI school in our area, you know, a small college, private college. But there was a tuition exchange program that I got to be a part of, and there was a whole list of schools across the country, every state. You know, not and hardly any of them were big D1, D2 schools that I could have gone to. But you know, other D, um, 
some D2s, D3s, NAIA, just smaller private colleges like that one were, and my tuition was covered because she worked at that school. So I, I, I had talked with a couple other kids here recently, and like, oh, yeah, my mom works at, or my dad works at the high school, or this and that. So if you can convince, if you're, if, <laughs> kids, if you're listening, convince your parents who are working at that high school level, get a college job right now, and see if that's not going to help uh, eliminate some of that tuition for you and, and bring down some of that cost because they they like to take care of the people that work for them over there so um, that's another little sneaky trick that not many people know about you might be able to get into if you're you know freshman sophomore maybe it might take a year or something for your parent to get that job but that's a great way to never have to borrow money again you know get that get that paid for but even then I still had you know debt coming out of school from housing to food to books um, I mean just you know, cost for cost for living, man, it, it adds up. So step one, that's a great step one. What would you say is next on step two? Um, well, going back to step one, another thing that uh, that a lot of, of young amateur high school athletes don't understand um, is the junior college level for baseball. And I, I can't mm-hmm. necessarily speak for every part of the country, but uh, where I'm originally from, South Carolina, um, you know, we've got three junior colleges in South Carolina that compete for a chance to go to the junior college, um, college world series in grand mm-hmm. junction every year and Spartanburg yep. Methodist, USC Sumter and, uh, USC Lancaster, Lancaster. Um, you know, they compete for opportunities to go play there every year. And, you know, you, you look at their, their roster and they have either transfers from a lot of major division one college baseball programs, mm-hmm. or they leave their schools and transfer to major programs. And, um, same thing here in Texas. You know, we have San Jacinto College, which has won, I believe, four or five national championships in the last like 15 years. And they've been to the College World Series about 12 to 15 times here in the last 20 years. I mean, they're a very prestigious, you know, they they recruit the same guys that Texas, uh, mm-hmm. U of H, Texas A&M, Texas Tech. Right. You know, all these major D1 programs, they recruit the same exact kids. And I know right now San Jack has a, a lefty from Arkansas that's he's probably going to be a, a top 10 draft pick tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. He sits, you know, he's 96 to 98 with a wipeout breaking ball. And, uh, you know, he's got, and, and most people, you know, they hear the word junior college, you know, just for normal <laughs> people who don't follow yeah. college baseball and don't really understand how the process works. They hear the word junior college and think, Oh, it's a, it's an inferior level of play. And most people don't realize that, um, there are some junior colleges like San Jacinto Junior College right now. They played a five or seven game series with all these major Division One programs in the the Big Twelve or the SEC. Mm-hmm. That you know they would definitely be able to hold their own. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, there's and, plenty and that's of guys another, getting picked up straight straight out of JUCO like that too. Right, and um, you know, a lot of people don't realize you know your junior colleges are going to be anywhere from you know, half to one-tenth of the cost of a lot of these major uh, Division One and Division Two schools mm-hmm. as far as as far as far total overall cost. Um, and that will be an opportunity to save tons of money over the first two years. And junior co- Division One junior colleges have uh, up to 24 scholarships that they can give out. Yeah, that's pretty powerful right there. So, you know, go to school, um, have a chance to legitimately play as a freshman or a sophomore, um, have a chance to get stronger, grow academically, grow as a person, and uh, have a chance to play as a freshman or sophomore. Because what a lot of these guys don't realize is they transfer into, you know, say, University of Texas or 
or a Texas A&M and there's you know four to six guys at their position who walk like them talk like them run like them hit like them and throw like Mm -hmm. them and you know it's it's going to be very very difficult for a a true freshman to get on the field and you know see serious playing time so that's where a lot of these guys transfer out and they'll transfer to a junior college and play their sophomore or their redshirt freshman season and uh and then transfer out again to a back to a major division one school. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely seen, seen a lot of that. And there's, it's no joke with the, the competition level at the Juco level. You know, it's like we said before, it's so many guys can get picked up straight out of there. And, you know, even, I mean, hell Bryce Harper, you know, he went to, uh, I, I don't, I couldn't tell you the name of the school over there. And, Arizona, I believe he went to uh, yeah, after high Southern, school. Southern Nevada Junior College. Yeah, that's the one. And playing in a Woodbat league over there, you know how. And I was, <laughs> I was talking. I mean, it's a random topic, but I was talking with somebody the other day. And I was like, yeah, within the next, I'd say three to five years, I feel like all of college baseball, if they don't, they should switch over to Woodbat throughout. But that's, I mean, just a, a tale of the signs of the competition level and. And things like that. But I feel like one of the other big things with, with your point of these guys go into these JUCO levels, you know, they go to a D1 and, and, and then they'll transfer over to a JUCO. Not only is, are they may, may not make the cut, you know, but they, they're academics or they don't have the finances to hold themselves up at that, at that D1 level. Cause it's good. Like you said, the JUCOs want half the cost, a 10th of the cost of these bigger schools. So if you don't have, you know, so many of these kids just, I mean, you know, put it point blank, just go in stupid. You know, they, they're not getting scholarships for their academics. They're not getting good grades on their ACT or SAT. You know, some of these bigger major athletes out there, they're just focused on their sport. They don't, you know, they know that they're, they've got the talent to take them to that next level and they're not worried about their schooling or their grades as much. So then that cuts into their finances and they're not learning how to handle their, handle themselves financially and this and that, you know, I've seen so many kids I've played with that were like that. And, and I mean, there, you know, it doesn't mean that they're a bad person or that they're dumb or, or, you know, not smart. It just means that they weren't, they, they were putting all their time and effort into their sport versus into their education or in their own financial, you know, their financial education. Absolutely. That's something you've seen too. Yeah, absolutely. I speak to our student athletes all the time. Um, I tell them don't fall in love with the numeral that's after the D. As far as D1, <laughs> yeah. um, a lot of them, you know, there's, oh, well, we want to be D1 or bust. And I said, right. well, why don't we think about it from a perspective of the next four or five years setting you up to do very well for the next 45 years of your life? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, find somewhere that's going to be a good fit academically where they're going to offer the major you want to be that, that you want to take and, and, you know, get a, a major that's going to you know, set you up to be financially set for the next, you know, 40 years, find a good fit for you socially, make sure this is the kind of place you want to be surrounded by the kind of people you want to be around. Obviously the, the coaching staff, the baseball team and athletics are a, an important part of it, but it's not the only part. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. For sure. And I mean, it, yeah, it, like you said, D one or bus for some of these kids, like they don't realize like the school I was at, I mean, I was, I transferred from a D three to an NAIA, and back in Kansas and we had my senior year we had at two or three guys that were draft potential um ended up getting drafted or or 
trying to get drafted. And then our team was ranked in the top 25 in the country. And we had two or three other teams in our conference that were the same way, had a couple, three guys, maybe four or five that were looking to get picked up and, and were ranked as well. So, I mean, it doesn't matter where you go, if you're good enough, like you're going to, like it, it really come, you know, this is kind of a different topic for a different podcast, but if you're good enough, you're going to get playing time. And that's what really is the most important thing. And if you're good enough, you're going to get seen. So that's what, you know, a lot of these kids need to realize is I need to go to a place where I can play and I'm going to get some looks, you know? So that's talking to, you know, get, get another coaches, the connections that they have, things like that. You know, we, we did, ours was in a buildup program, but we had a really good, um, there was a guy who ran, it was in the Jayhawk baseball league, which is one of the big summer collegiate baseball leagues. And he was kind of our, uh, assistant coach of sorts, you know, he helped out here and there, helped with recruiting and some things like that. So he, you know, we would bring in some big guys like that. So looking, looking for those kinds of things, getting, getting those kinds of connections, you know, that networking side of things that, kids kids don't quite think about you know when they're looking into schools and things like that as you are networking and you are in sales right now as a as a high school kid trying to get sold into into a a major program or you know that collegiate program you've got to sell your talents you've got to sell your ability sell your personality sell that you're going to go out and produce for this coach when he's got five, ten other kids at that same position. You know, it doesn't matter if it's baseball, if it's basketball, same kind of thing. Everybody at the collegiate level is the best of their position and the best in their sport going to that next level. So you've got to, you've really got to sell yourself. You know, networking and sales uh, is two two big things that these kids don't realize that they're already in the mix of and they're in the heat of. I completely agree. Yeah, one of the things that I use all the time, I tell guys, hey, if you can throw 95 on the black in Siberia, somebody will find you. I, I guarantee it. Um, if you can play, somebody will find you. Yeah. And Absolutely. I mean by that from like a professional standpoint, like if you can you go to a college where you have a chance to grow as a professional, as an athlete, as a person spiritually, and um, somebody will find you. If you go out and you produce and you've got the tools to play at the next level, someone will find you. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And especially with, I mean, shit these kids are having iphones and smartphones at the age of 12 you know 14 years old i didn't get mine until i was 16 or 17 but you know and it was a flip phone the razor so you i mean you could barely take a picture on it let alone a video but you know how many of these kids can make their own highlight videos and send them off to the schools and coaches they want to you know they want to go play with you know that's a sales that's a sales pitch right there you know what i mean right it's all about how you're looking at it I completely agree. Yeah, the ability to to not get recruited nowadays is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. With social media, I mean, just the ability to communicate now. It used to be, you know, 30 years ago, you would have to physically call a coach and he would have to be in his office and it, everything would have to work out perfectly for you to speak to a coach. Nowadays, yeah. you know, you, you've got all these different platforms. You've got the recruiting different, like the different types of recruiting services that are offered. Mm-hmm. You've got social media. You've got you know, just cell phone communication, video, YouTube, um, you've got all different platforms to where you can be seen and people can reach out to you and communicate with you. Absolutely. And that's, I think part of the mindset when I was coming up for some of these kids, you know, it, and this social media stuff wasn't as big when I graduated high school in 09. I mean, I, I, I didn't get Facebook till I was in college, you know, freshman, sophomore year, but getting, you know, that they think, 
oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't make enough money. I'm not rich enough. I'm not financially whatever enough to afford a recruiter or to go get a camera and shoot these highlight videos and like do all this stuff, which is another reason why these kids, you know, need to listen to this podcast and take their money and their finances seriously, because you can, you know, some people are going to have the parents that are going to take care of them and, and send them to these camps, showcases, hire a recruiter, like whatever it is to get them exposure. If they're, you know, on the cusp of being good enough, but not quite there, even if they're the, the, best and the baddest dude on the team like whatever and then there's these kids who you know have this in the back of their mind that are they're just the bottom level of the school because they're poor you know their family doesn't have money and and that's just and that's a mindset thing for these kids that they can do anything that they want to do if they're willing to put that work in and realize that they can they can make that kind of money and they can like you said, it's so easy for these kids to do it now. Like with my strength training, with my um, sports performance training business that I run, I'm I'm big on like everything that you do matters. The nutrition, the recovery, the sleep, the workouts that you're doing, the throwing program, the skills training. Like it's not just one of those specific things. Like there's somebody out there who is doing everything they possibly can and they're going to get that competitive edge on you. And this is that one extra competitive edge, that finance, that business understanding of going out and hustling that money yourself, not getting into debt and going out and paying somebody a few hundred bucks to make this badass highlight video and send it out to their, you know, hundred people, whoever it is, you know, so if your excuse is, Oh, I don't have the money. I don't have, you know, my, my family's poor, this and that. You know, it's it's bullshit today. Right. And, you know, you brought up the whole strength conditioning aspect. And I can't stress how important that is. I'm a firm believer that your body yeah. is your billboard. Yeah. Um, you know, that's what coaches are going to see first. And if you're, you know, if you're 6'1", 155, college coaches aren't looking for guys that are 6'1", <laughs> 155. You can't always control how tall you are. I mean, if you're 5'8", sure. you're 5'8", five, eight, five, eight. genetics play the role in that and you don't have any control of that but you can control how big your quads are how big your hamstrings are how big your forearms are you know mm -hmm. those are things that you can control and uh your body is your billboard and coaches see that and, and they're looking for guys who fit the the athletic mold and the athletic profile that they're looking to recruit mm -hmm. um and also as far as just having tools i know you brought up the fact about going to showcases and going to different camps and things like that You've got to make sure that you have the tools as well that college coaches are looking for because the game is very competitive. College baseball mm -hmm. is an extremely competitive environment. And uh, if you're a, you know, say you're a 6'2 junior right-handed pitcher and you go out and you're throwing 81, you know, major Division One programs aren't looking for that. I mean, you can that yeah. can play at the Division Two level, the Division Three level, NAIA. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, if you're saying, hey, I want to go to UT – and I go to a UT showcase and I'm popping 81 at six foot two, 148 pounds. That's not yeah, going to play. You're done. Yeah. They're, and, they're, and they're just going to gloss over you from the gate. And you just, you basically wasted your time because you're not, they're, they're going to scratch you off and they're going to continue scratching you off. Cause by the time you're there, probably sophomore, junior, and they're like, Oh, this kid's done growing or he's not going to put that, you know, he's not going to put that on. I want somebody else like you're, you're screwing yourself over. Like I was six, 370 pounds. I, I felt like no matter how much I ate, I couldn't get over that. But it, it, it wasn't until, you know, college and I had my first strength coach and personal trainer that I really started to realize 
you know, I can do this myself. I just didn't know that I could do that. So that was a big thing I talked about when I was starting this up was that these kids need to be able to, you know, get a personal trainer, get a good strength coach, get some good nutrition coaching under their belt early enough to, because if you're doing the strength training, but you're not eating enough and you're a skinnier kid trying to put on that size, it doesn't matter how much you lift, you're not going to gain the weight. And then you're not going to impress these coaches. And it's this whole, you know, everything matters, all these cycles coming into play. Completely agree. Yeah, just at the, the school that I work at, you know, we've really instituted a baseball strength conditioning program this past year. And it's something that, that the school's never had in the history of their program. And they've mm-hmm. been a very competitive program. Um, but we, you know, we talk about nutrition and hydration and just making sure that you're getting enough calories. The the overall mm-hmm. calorie count is what's most important to me. I mean, if you're eating 5,000 calories of, of Skittles and McDonald's, obviously you're not going to get the gains and the results you want. But, you know, just yeah. talking about making sure that we're eating quality uh, macros and uh, get, getting the overall calorie count to where we want it. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've had players who come and say, well, you know, coach, I eat all the time and I eat, you know, several meals a day, but I, I can't ever gain weight. And, you know, mm-hmm. we actually sat down and we said, hey, let's track your food for three days and see exactly oh, how yeah. many calories you're eating. And it comes out to be like 2,600 calories. Yeah. And, you know, to put on muscle mass and, and to gain weight and, and, you know, be the and to, to build the type of body you want, you've got to get that calorie count up in the four or five thousand calorie range. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're only getting half that, you're going to get half the results. I mean, one example that I like to bring up all the time is I think about J.J. Watt. In mm-hmm. the offseason when he's working out several times a day in order to maintain his size and strength and the different uh, things that he needs to compete at his level, he's consuming like 9,000 calories a day, eating uh, almost a full meal like every two to three hours. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, that's, that's just one thing. One thing that a lot of, of young athletes don't realize is the amount of nutrients and the amount of calories and protein that they have to consume in order to put on uh, good quality muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and, and this ties into what I had on with Ryan Fuller on the last episode of how from the high school level to the college level, how, how much of a jump that is. And then from the college, you know, whether it's JUCO to D1, JUCO to that next level or D2 to D1 or, you know, you're going from college to professional, you know, the minor leagues to the show. Every jump is a, such a significant jump in the amount of training and the focus, the fight physical demands on the body, the skill level, all these different things that go into it and the time commitment. And, and, and that just plays back into what we're talking about here with this show. If you're not like, if you're a high school kid listening to this now and you think that you're busy now, just wait till you get to college. And that college kid who thinks he's busy now, just wait till you, you know, if you're good enough to play professionally, like that next level is always going to be harder than the level you're at now. So figure out now how to make the time to, save some more money, you know, and that's part of the other thing is with the Dave Ramsey stuff, I'm a big fan of his. Um, another guy I really like to follow who who respects Dave but isn't quite a fan in a certain sense of him or like a Susie Orman or some of these others is Grant Cardone, and I'm sure you've heard of him and followed him a little bit, but he's, he's a big income guy, and, you know, Dave and some of these others are savings uh, cutting back on certain things, et cetera. Like you can only cut back so much if you're making $3,000 a month. Like you can only, you're not going to get financially free making $3,000 a month, right? So you've got to, at some point, increase your income, get other income streams coming in while you're continuing to do these, 
savings tips, all these different kinds of things to, you know, or, or just to not get into debt by, you know, buying that boat or that truck, whatever it is. Yeah, completely agree. Personal finance is 80% behavior, 20% head math. Mm. And you know, I've heard that Dave Ramsey's mentioned that several times and, and it's really true. Like, you know, most people, if they just cut back their lifestyle just a little bit on the current, mm-hmm. um, you know, salary and, and finances that they have, they could do extremely well for themselves. But, you know, most people, you know, they get out of college and they say, oh, I deserve a new car. <laughs> you know, I deserve this. I deserve that. I deserve to go out and go to Disney World. I deserve to take this trip here because I've worked so hard over the last five or six years in college. I deserve this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and the ability, like I talked about earlier, the ability to delay pleasure is one of the um, it's one of the qualities of millionaires. There was a book that was written, uh, came out about six months ago. It's called Everyday Millionaires, written by Chris Hogan, who is a Dave Ramsey personality. And uh, this book is basically about because what's the what's the view on most millionaires in America? What do most people think? Yeah, that they're spoiled, that they're rude, they're snobby, this and that. Right. You know, they're they're trust fund babies. They got their millions Mm. from their father who gave them all their money or their pro athletes or their movie stars or their con artists who stole all this money from people through their pyramid schemes. You know, that's (laughs) what most people think. People don't realize that about 90% of all millionaires inherited less than $100,000. This was a study done with the Dave Ramsey uh, personality, Chris Hogan, and his team. They did a survey of 10,000 millionaires worldwide. Mm -hmm. Or it might have not been worldwide. It might have just been in the United States. Sure. But but all this uh, this, data that they had, 80% of all millionaires didn't inherit a penny. And only 10% inherited less than $100,000. And it, it's all through, you know, just making good economic financial decisions that, you know, these people delay pleasure. They invest in their 401k through their job. They uh, invest in Roth IRAs that grow tax free. Mm-hmm. They save money. They don't buy stuff that they're not prepared to pay cash for. Um, and one of the things that Dave Ramsey talks about is if you can't pay cash for it, you can't afford it. Yep. Yep. That's um, good. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, oh, you know, I can buy this, you know, $20,000 car and, oh, the payments are only $380 a month. I can, I can make the payment. But just like I said with my example, you don't realize that, you know, probably close to $100 is going directly to the bank and it's not going towards the balance that you owe mm-hmm. in interest. And again, once I saw that, it made me absolutely sick to my stomach <clears throat> in my own situation. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's. It's just, it's just not, you know, it's not that you weren't smart or you didn't, you just didn't know better at the time, right? You don't know what you don't know. And, and, and that's one of the things of the show is to get these kids realizing all the, the quote unquote hidden secrets that you might not know about, or you might not see that it's really just not being talked about in, in the home. You know, parents aren't really educating their kids on it because for whatever reason that might be, you know, for me, I couldn't even ask my mom. I remember asking her, it was either middle school or high school once. I was like, mom, how much money do you make? And she's like, oh, we don't talk about that. I was like, right. okay, like, why not? And so I just never, you know, brought it up again kind of thing. And that's and that's kind of a bigger deal is the, the mindset around money. And then, you know, they like like I was saying, they're looking at, and what you were saying too, looking at these 
millionaires of, oh, they're just arrogant. They're got trust fund babies like this and that when they don't, you know, they don't, they don't know what they don't know. And they're just making shit up to completely agree to just put, try to put these people down and make them feel better because they're not rich. They're not millionaires, like whatever it is. And I think it, you know, it also has to do with like the culture and society in general. I mean, it, everyone today feels like they're a victim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and you know, we're not trying to raise a society of victims. We're trying to raise a society of victors. They're yes. going to go out people who control their own destiny. The only person who, who can control their destiny is you. Yeah. To go out and, and whatever you want to achieve, whether it's to go play pro pro sports or to go, you know, be to, to get the job of your dreams where you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to be able to go out and change lives for other people. Um, you know, everybody controls their own destiny. And, yeah. you know, and I totally agree. You know, well, you know, so and so, you know, he grew up in a family. They had no money. So he had to take out student loans to go to college. Well, then you've got Johnny, who his family makes two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year and they can pay for his college. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Not everybody has the same starting point, but everyone can achieve the same finish line. Yes. Um, yes. You know, if you're fortunate enough to come from or unfortunately enough to uh, come from one of those families who, you know, the parents made terrible financial decisions and they couldn't afford to pay for their school. Um, that's just the situation you're in and you're going to have to find a way to work through it. And I mean, student yep. loans are an option, but again, it's not a good option because once you get out of school or once you finish uh, college, you have to pay those student loans back. Yep. And, you know, Dave Ramsey talks all the time about trying to get through college debt free about um, when you're a teenager. He talks to families and stuff on his, his podcast and uh, they have kids who are, uh, you know, they're like in high school, freshmen, sophomores. And uh, he talks about. Uh, their full-time job while they're in high school is to apply for scholarships. And just say you apply for over the course of two years, you apply for 800 scholarships, Mm -hmm. but you only get 10 of them. But each one of those 10 scholarships is $2,000. That's $20,000 just like that. Mm -hmm. They have to go to school and think about, you know, if you apply for scholarships for two hours a day, five days a week for two years, I'm not sure on exactly the numbers that uh, of the hours you're going to work. But twenty thousand dollars, two hours a week, two hours a day, five days a week, that comes out to be a pretty good amount of money per hour. Yeah, that you're going to get to go to school and, uh, you know, scholarships, because there's hundreds of thousands of scholarships out there that people are trying to give away you just have to dig for it look for it and find a way to get it and you're going to get denied for you know 98 percent of them but if you can apply for 800 and you get 10 to 20 at two thousand dollars a piece your college is paid for Mm -hmm. yeah and there's just so many little scholarships out there like that that aren't you know the big academic tuition or room and board type uh traditional scholarships you know high school is given out little stuff. I mean, there's, um, really good friends of mine in California for a a small, uh, high school out there that they, you know, they started their own, their own scholarship that they wanted to give back. And it was, you know, like a $1,500 scholarship to the, the hardest working, less fortunate kid at the school or something like that, you know? So there's, there's a, there's a lot out there. And I feel like every high school itself has one 
you know, or somebody out there like a Dave Ramsey or some of these other, you know, that's the thing is looking at these influencers like, you know, LeBron James started his own, was it, was it a high school or a middle school? He started his own school, you know, um, last year or sometime within this past year. And, you know, guys like, there's so many people out there like him that are trying to make it better for some of these less fortunate kids or kids that don't have the grades, like whatever it is that are good kids and they want to play at that next level. They just don't, you know, have, have the resources or capabilities. And it's just finding, finding the time, you know, being resourceful is a thing is going through and looking through that. I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, think about it. If you, you know, if you can somehow, you know, with athletic money, academic money, scholarship assistance, get through college and get a degree that's usable in the workplace and get through college completely debt free, come out making, let's just say $50,000 a year with zero mm-hmm. debt. Think about how nice that would be. Think about oh, how, yeah. how fast you could save money to buy basically anything you want. You want to buy a $15,000 car, making $50,000 a year. How fast could you save up $15,000 to buy a new car? Yeah. Eight months, six months, eight months. Because you know, if you're making $50,000 a year, you're probably bringing home close to four grand. Right. Yep. And that was, and that's why I was thinking a little bit about too, when you were talking about these trust fund babies and they only get like a hundred thousand, you know, from their parents or whatever, people don't realize how quick that, like, it sounds like a lot of money, right? It's like, I'd love to have a hundred thousand dollars, but then you got to think about how much of that is going to taxes. Let's just say like 30%. So now they're down to 70,000. How much of that is going to go towards rent, right? Let's just say, you know, a thousand bucks a month, 12, that's 12,000. Now you're down to 58. I mean, it's just food every month, like all these bills and everything. And all of a sudden you're left with like maybe 10, 20,000. Like, yeah, that's a lot of money for some people. But at the same time, like that is not going to do shit for you in your life to make anything substantial. It's going to, you know, get feed you a little bit. You're going to feel like you can go to the club and buy some drinks and this and that. But how, like, it's going to be like that. It's going to be a blink of an eye and that money's gone. And that's like... Dave Ramsey and Grant, and Grant Cardone is another great guy. I think some of these kids should follow. That's some of the stuff he's talking about is like this, these six figure people, you know, need to focus on being millionaires because today's millionaire isn't quite what it was back in the day and how, how quickly that money goes, how much of it the tax man takes, all this kind of stuff. And you know, you've got to start thinking at a bigger level than, oh, it's $100,000, six-figure mark. If I can make six figures, I'm going to be balling. I'm going to be set for life, and it's just not true. Yeah, I mean, especially here in Houston, like $100,000, like say if you're looking to purchase a home, $100,000 might get you a box under the interstate in, mm-hmm. uh, in Houston. Like the, the housing market here is just outrageous. But, yeah, it, it takes me back to uh, when you're younger and you get a $20 bill from, like, your grandma. Right. Mm-hmm. That twenty dollar bill feels like a hundred dollar bill in comparison for your age. But as an adult, when you've got all these, you know, obligations, you've got to pay for insurance, you gotta pay for all of your, you know, utilities, rent, um, car maintenance, uh, gas, you know, all the different things, groceries, food, different things that you have to pay for as an adult, a hundred dollars feels like a twenty dollar bill once mm-hmm. you become an adult. Just because and you brought up the thing. You brought up the the point of a hundred thousand dollars. A hundred thousand dollars is not not a lot of money once you think about all the different things that you're going to have to pay for and cover and different things like that. And 
you know, if you have a home, if you have a mortgage, a mortgage is mm. a whole nother level. Oh yeah. And I think yeah. the average home value here in inside the loop in Houston is probably close to $400,000. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really just kids listening or coaches out there listening who are like Otis, you know, just understand that what, you know, you don't know what you don't know and you can change that at any time. And there's, you know, we're here to help. Um, we want you guys to understand all the, all the shit that really goes into this. You know, we're not here to push out fluffy dreams and high hopes and all this stuff. Like it's, it's every single person listening to the show and anybody who is out there that you know of that thinks that they can't make it or they're not whatever it is, right? They're not talented enough. They're not rich enough. It doesn't fucking matter anymore. Like in this world, it literally does not matter how many, look at how many of these people out there are college dropouts and multi-billionaires. I mean, to, there's so many, I, I mean, I wish I could name drop some right now, but there's so many just high school kids out there who are millionaires, right? They made some app and all of a sudden, like they made a bunch of money or some, they did some viral video or something like there's just so there's no excuse anymore. And if you keep telling yourself that and you're living in the ways of, you know, grandparents or your parents, however they grew up, whatever that mindset is, you're just going to hold yourself back and you're going to fuck yourself up for the future. Completely agree. Yeah. Um, aside from maybe the very first job you ever get coming out of college, most employers aren't, aren't concerned with where you went to college. They're not concerned with where you got your degree from. They're only concerned with can can this employee do the job that we want them to do and can they excel at the job that we want them to do. Um, How many times have you ever went to the doctor or went to the dentist and asked them where they went to medical school? Never. Never, right? I mean, they got their plaque on the wall. That's about it. Right. The only thing you're concerned about, I mean, even as a – even as a customer, anytime you've ever bought anything or, or, or done anything or, or, or acquired a service from someone, you've never asked the, the employee where they got their degree from. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where you go to school doesn't matter. I mean, j- solely going to you know, a highly academic, highly prestigious school and getting a degree from a specific school that's known for a specific you know, type of, of degree that they give doesn't necessarily guarantee success. Mm-hmm. If it's a very prestigious school, I guarantee you it uh, it guarantees it's going to come at a hefty fee. It's going to come. Yeah. Uh, it's going to cost a lot, but it doesn't always guarantee success. Nope, not at all. And not you know, and at all. one thing that just one last word of advice before we mm-hmm. have to come to an end. I mean, just one piece of advice I would like to give to all young amateur athletes, whether at the high school, the collegiate level, is is try to get through college completely debt free. And don't buy anything unless you can pay cash for it because your most powerful wealth building tool you have is your income and you can't build wealth with it. If you're having to give it to some bank because you know, you have a credit card, you have a car loan or you have a, a different type a student loan or, or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I wish, I wish I would have had, had that, had that when I was in school, you know, I had my, had, had my truck, you know, my dad gave me his truck because she ended up getting a new one. You know, I'm super grateful for that. I mean, that's my baby. I still got her now, and she's all paid off and everything. But you know, I didn't have to luckily go through that. But did did come out with debt still. So that's you know on the list of getting taken care of. Oh, uh, we've all paid stupid tax. <laughs> yeah, we, we've yeah. all had it. 
That's that's a good one. The stupid tax. <laughs> well, yeah, Otis, just, it's. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh uh, yeah, I just recently, you know, like like we mentioned earlier, I just recently paid off my last stupid tax, and I don't ever plan on borrowing money again <laughs> until I get a mortgage. Yeah. Well, the good thing about the stupid tax is, you know, you're. Well, at least it it could be a good thing. It might be bad for some. Is you're learning and you're recognizing, oh, I I had to pay a stupid tax right there, you know, and and overcoming it, not not doing it again. Correct. Yeah, I would I would love to do the the hundred percent down plan when I eventually do buy a home here in the next one mm-hmm. to two years, but it's just not financially. Uh, it's going to be impossible to come up with a couple hundred thousand dollars to buy on house. Yeah. Having a, a mortgage is the only thing Dave Ramsey doesn't yell at you about. Every other kind of debt is a complete no, no, and it's unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. I, lo- I love it, Otis. This was a great episode and really glad to have you on today. Where can all our listeners go to uh, keep up with what you got going? Uh, they can look me up on Facebook, Otis McElhaney, O-T-I-S-M-C-A-L-H-A-N-Y. Uh, they can follow me on Instagram at odmac29432. That's O-D-I-E-M-A-C-29432. Uh, also on Twitter, I believe it's odmac1, O-D-I-E-M-A-C-1, uh, the, the number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, those, those are the social media platforms that they can follow me on. Um, if anybody ever has any questions about, you know, financial freedom or paying off debt or, or anything or any way that I can help them in any way, tell them, feel, uh, please feel free to reach out anytime. Uh, if, uh, if anybody needs my, my phone information, they can always send me a text or give me a call at 713-899-9841. And, uh, I'm always here to help out anybody any way I can. Well, cool, man. That's awesome. I'm going to add that into the show notes and Otis, you, I know this podcast is going to blow up one day and somebody coming back and listen to this, you might regret leaving that phone number on there and you get too many, too many phone calls from too many people. You can't keep up. No, that's all right. I'm, I'm all about, uh, I'm all about living like no one else so that later I can live and give and help out people like no one yeah, else. Yeah, Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, Otis, it's been a pleasure, man. And I'm going to add everything into the show notes. So everybody can check that out below and looking forward to keeping up with your progress, Otis, and seeing everything that you got going coming up here in the future. Oh, I sure do appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I hope y'all got a lot out of that episode. That was a great one with Otis. Really glad he came on and shared that with you guys. Biggest takeaway, don't dig yourself in a hole right away and start taking your money seriously. Start, start taking your savings in, your savings seriously, your income seriously, and start now. Now is always the time to start this kind of thing. So I hope y'all love this episode. Leave me a review. That's the only thing I really ask of you guys is leave me a review on iTunes, please. That's how I'm going to help this podcast grow. So I'm going to help get more people on it, help more people get more listeners to this show, which is where what we're all about right now with where I'm at in the early stages of this show. So go to iTunes, leave me a review. I'd love a five-star review, but if you think I deserve a three or a four-star, leave that as well. I'd love to start reading off some of the uh, some of the reviews, give some people some shout-outs from those who are following the show, and check back in next week for another exciting episode. Last thing, you know, I'd love to get some feedback from you guys besides the review. If you're if you're one to some specific questions you've got, different speakers you want to hear, certain, you know, just whatever it is you want from this show to get out of this show, 
email me, kpullins3 at gmail.com. That's K-P-U-L-L-I-N-S-3 at gmail.com. Say, hey, Kyle, this is who I want to hear from. This is the struggle I'm having right now with my money, uh, with my time, whatever it is. Let me know what it is, and we'll make sure to get a podcast episode to you and get you those answers that you're really seeking. Okay, so message me that at email me that kpullins3 at gmail.com. Last thing, a shameless pitch over here. You know, I'm a a sports performance coach, strength conditioning, sports nutrition, mental training, baseball skills training. I got a lot of connections for basketball players, for golfers on the skill side of things. I'm not going to teach those things, even though those are sports that I play. Any of you out there are serious about continuing your training, you got, you know, you don't have all the answers you want on the performance side of things, shoot me a message as well. Email me and let's get together. Let's uh, figure out how, you know, we go through an assessment, figure out where you're at right now and get you to where you want to be playing at, get you to the next level that you want to go, get you those, those gains that you're trying to get to. Okay. So let's make it happen for you. I'm here for you, here to support you and make it happen in all areas of your life right now. So thanks for checking into the Money Minded Athlete. And until next time, everybody, God bless, stay strong and be healthy.